How many of you want to see the power of God in your life? I didn't ask for a response, but I'll take it. <laughs> it's rhetorical, but uh, that's all right. I, I love it. You, you, you want to see God work. You want to see his power unleashed in your life. Well, I hope this message will be helpful for you this morning. Uh, we are beginning our story with the Apostle Paul living in the city of Ephesus. Uh, where we pick up the story, he's been living there for over two years. Now, Ephesus, I have a map for you, was one of the three or four largest cities in the Roman Empire in Paul's day. You can see it's strategically located near the water. It was a diverse city. It was a wealthy city. Lots of different types of people there. Population estimates for Ephesus were about a quarter of a million people in the city. Uh, uh, an important capital city of the Asian province within the Roman Empire. And it boasted one of the seven wonders of the world at this time. This temple to the goddess Artemis uh, would have been worshipped by Romans as Diana. But all over the Mediterranean region, people would have made pilgrimages to Ephesus uh, to worship there. The temple there was four times the size of the Parthenon in, in Athens. And so here is Paul. Paul is working tirelessly here in Ephesus, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 19 and verse 10, we're told this, that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Luke is trying to show us how effective Paul's ministry has been up to this point. And that's where our story picks up, starting at verse 11 in Acts chapter 19. Now, I'm going to be reading starting at verse 11 through to verse 20. We'll have it up on the slides. You can pull out a Bible if you have it and follow along. But I'm going to ask you, would you stand with me as I read this portion of God's Word? And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is God's word. You may be seated. Now, when uh, picking this passage this morning, I almost left out verses 11 through 12. 
this short little excerpt about uh, the handkerchiefs and aprons healing people. It sounds silly to our modern ears. It's an example of why people say the Bible is full of fairy tales. I mean, come on, handkerchiefs and aprons healing people? And what's even harder to swallow about this are the ways that televangelists today have used this to manipulate people by sending donors anointed prayer cloths, promising them prosperity or healing. We look at this type of thing and we think, yeah, this is what Christianity is all about, just ways to manipulate people, just uh, another uh, way to make a, a buck. Now, I don't necessarily have an answer that will solve all the issues you might have with this part of the story. It may not erase all your skepticism about what we read here. But let me offer a few observations. The first is this. We're nowhere told that Paul ever used this as a money-making endeavor. In fact, it's believed that the handkerchiefs and aprons that are referred to here would have been used by Paul as he worked as a tent maker. Uh, Paul worked from morning to evening, not just preaching the gospel. Paul had a day job. Paul made tents and, and he used it to support himself. And he did that so that no one would accuse him of being in it for the money. The second thing we notice about the story is that we're told that this is an example of an extraordinary miracle. Now, all miracles are extraordinary in some ways. These are even more extraordinary. This was not an ordinary occurrence. Now, we do have a, a few examples of something similar. You might think of Jesus' ministry in the time when the woman who was sick touched his robe and she was healed. Another example might be when uh, those who were sick tried to, to uh, be touched by Peter's shadow. That was earlier in Acts chapter 5. Now, all of these examples are extraordinary miracles. They aren't parlor tricks. Uh, they weren't common occurrences. And so we're, we have to ask, now why, why include this? Why does God use his power in this way, in this story? Well, I think the key is to understand that God was using his power in this way to validate Paul's ministry. Not to highlight Paul, but to highlight the person that Paul came to proclaim, and that's Jesus. In other words, these types of extraordinary miracles, they were Jesus' way of saying, listen, you can trust Paul. I've sent him on my behalf, and my power is, can be seen through him. Remember where Paul was. He was at this spiritual stronghold, Ephesus, where magic and the occult was prevalent. And so this issue of power would have been an important one. People were striving, looking for power through the spiritual realm. And here comes Paul proclaiming Jesus Christ. And God is making a statement saying, this is a man you can trust a man you can believe in. And it's apparent people did take notice. We're told as we move on through the story in verses 13 and 14 that some itinerant Jewish exorcists decided to try this out. Now, again, in Ephesus, this would have been a common practice. Exorcism would have been uh, a common practice. And exorcists were thought to know the names of spirits, and this was a way that they practiced their craft. 
if they had the right names and they had the right incantation, uh, they were often successful in, in whatever they were trying to accomplish in this way. And it was believed uh, that Jewish priests had secret knowledge about the name of God, the God of Israel. In fact, there are manuscripts that have been discovered, uh, incantation, magical formulations that included the name of Jesus and other names for the God of Israel that would have been used in a similar way that we see here in this story. So it was natural for these renegade Jewish exorcists to, to want to get in on this secret power that Paul seems to have. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. These Jewish exorcists invoke the name of Jesus, but it doesn't have any effect. Why? There's obviously great power in the name of Jesus. Luke has gone to great lengths to show that in this story through Paul's ministry. But something is missing here. They're trying to tap into the power of the name of Jesus Christ. They want what Paul had. And so they're trying to come up with the right formula, the right incantation. But it doesn't work. God doesn't respond. Now let's consider why. Now you might be thinking, well, maybe their motivations were wrong. Maybe these Jewish exorcists were in it for the money. Maybe they were greedy and God could tell they were greedy and therefore he doesn't respond to, to what it is they're trying to do here. So he doesn't reveal his power through their exorcism. Or, or maybe they were in it for the celebrity status. Maybe they wanted to be known as powerful uh, Jewish priests. And so they were in it for their own reputation. Maybe that's why God decides not to reveal his power through their actions. You know, any of those things might be true, but the, but the truth is we're not told in the passage. We, we aren't given any sense of their motivation. It could be that they were actually trying to help people. It could be that these Jewish exorcists had good intentions. I think the problem in this story for these exorcists is that they wanted the power of God minus the relationship with God. If you notice in, in verse 14, what do they say? They say, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Notice how that's phrased. It's not, I adjure you by the Jesus whom I proclaim, or the Jesus that I know, but that Paul knows. You see, these exorcists are trying to proclaim the power of Jesus without firsthand knowledge. There's this relational distance between them and Jesus as their Lord, Jesus as their Messiah. To them, Jesus is simply a formula, an incantation to get what they want. They want the power of Jesus without Jesus. Now, today, I think it's popular within spiritual discussions to talk about the importance of good intentions, of sincerity. In fact, I think that is the gospel of our age when it comes to spiritual life. If you're sincere, that's what counts. I just listened to a podcast this week. A man, an atheist, was writing or talking about sincere disbelief. The idea of being an atheist, and it's not 
that you have something against God and it's not that you're out to get God. You're not vehemently opposed to it like Christopher Hitchens or, or Richard Dawkins or other new atheists who, who seem to rage against God. No, no, you're just a sincere person who happens not to believe. And, and he was in dialogue with a Christian and the Christian asked him, well, what if you, when you die and you find out you're wrong, and this sincere atheist said, well, I, I hope if I'm wrong that God will see that I've been sincere all my life, that I've been a good person, and I've tried to do my best. You see, I would argue that that, that person has fallen into the same trap as these exorcists in this story. You see, he's believing the lie that he can experience the benefits of Jesus without a relationship with Jesus. That you won't be judged by whether or not you're found in Jesus. Instead, you'll be judged by whether or not you were sincere. And these Jewish exorcists may have been sincere. Maybe they were insincere. My point is it doesn't really matter whether they were insincere or whether, you know, why they wanted to use the power of Jesus. They were trying to use it without a relationship with Jesus. As one commentator put it, it's not the name of Jesus that works in a mechanical way over the powers. The name is not a key of some sort. If we are channels of his power, it is not because we know of his name, but because we know him and more importantly, are known by him. And I think unfortunately, many of us today can take a similar approach to our faith. We want to experience the power of God in our lives. And our demons may not be spirits to be exercised. Our demons may be addictions that have trapped us. They may be broken relationships that we're floundering in. It might be financial debt that has overwhelmed us. It might be a disappointing career that has left us empty. Many of you are stuck in these problems and you're longing for the power of God to invade your life. You're longing for the power of God to break through and release you and free you so that you can get back to living your life independent of God. And within our Christian culture, many of us pastors and preachers, we can encourage this mentality. Uh, uh, we, can, we can encourage this idea that you can have the power of God manifest in your life without having God in your life. We'll give you, you know, we write books, we preach sermons on five steps to a better marriage. Or, or we point you to the Bible and say, hey, this book has all this wisdom in it. Uh, just look at it and pick out the wisdom and use it so you can have the best life you can have. You know, we proclaim this gospel of God wants you to be happy. God wants to fix all your problems. Maybe pray like this particular biblical character for six months and you'll see God's prosperity enter into your life. And transform you. It's the same mentality as the Jewish exorcists. Adopt this formula and tap into the power of God. And the underlying assumption is you can experience that power of Jesus without actually knowing Jesus. But we see in our story here that after this evil spirit overwhelms these Jewish exorcists after they discover that Jesus will not be manipulated, Jesus will not be used like an incantation or a formula. 
We notice what happens in verse 17, that fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Now we see the beginning of the power of God truly manifesting itself in people's lives when the name of Jesus Christ is extolled, when the name of Jesus Christ is praised, when the name of Jesus Christ reorients our our perspective. And this is what has to happen for the power of God to truly transform you and begin to shape you. The person of Jesus must become central. He must be highlighted. He must be first in your heart. We want Jesus to to fix our problems and leave us alone. But the reality is we must want Jesus, period. We must want Jesus, period, whether he fixes our problems or not. That's when his power begins to truly work in our lives. Imagine you're a parent, you've got a, 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 a child who's now gone off to college, and let's say your daughter only calls you when she wants something. Time and time again, she calls up when she wants something from you, and that's the only time she reaches out, the only time she wants to engage with you. And you got to the point, when you answer the phone, you're thinking, now what does she want? Is that a relationship? No. No, you would not be satisfied with that. Why are you satisfied with that when it comes to God? This passage surprises us. It reorients our understanding of the power of Jesus and how we can have access to it. And what's fascinating about this, I think, about this story is that how we see the power of Jesus truly manifest. It manifests itself in the lives of people in It's not about changing your circumstances on the outside. It's more about changing what's inside. And we see that in the lives of the people, the Ephesians here. I mean, we want God to fix our circumstances. We want Jesus, you know, to come into the world to to solve all our problems. But Jesus came into the world to fix the most important problem, and that's your heart. That's the thing that you have given yourself to other than God. The power of Jesus is most clearly seen in the story and the way these people are reoriented and transformed. Notice in verses 18 to 19, these believers come confessing and divulging their practices. This was a church full of people practicing magic. Again, this was common in Ephesus, but here you have these Christians are coming and they're divulging what they've been up to. A number of them had practiced magic arts. They brought these books together and they burned them on this bonfire in the sight of everyone. And the value of these magical books was 50,000 pieces of silver. That's over 100 years worth of, of annual labor, of wages. It's a tremendous amount of money that is burned in front of everyone. But what's powerful here is the way that the power of God brings people out of hiding. That's what I want you to see this morning. If you want to see the power of God unleashed in your life, listen to the call of Jesus, how he's calling you out of hiding. He's calling you to confession. He's calling you to repentance. 
He's calling you to divulge the ways that you're living your life that are dishonoring to Him. The ways that you've given your heart to things that are secret. To, to, no, one, no one knows. No one knows about the things you're doing. And yet we see in this church the power of God transform people when Jesus is extolled, when Jesus is feared and revered, people come out of hiding. People's lives are transformed. It's the most incredible miracle to see people confess and repent. Unfortunately, we don't see it very much, do we? We don't see it very often. This act of love and devotion, these uh, Ephesian Christians, by burning these manuscripts of great value, they didn't sell them. But we see an important principle here in what repentance looks like. Repentance is not just confessing that you screw up, confessing that you're broken, confessing that you do terrible things. Repentance is, yes, confessing those things and then taking actions to turn and devote your life to Jesus. To take whatever those things are that you've given yourself to and say, Jesus, you are going to be central in my life and I am burning these in the sight of everyone. Because I love you, and I want you, and I want to be found in you. This is the ultimate act of vulnerability, and you may be too frightened to do that. You might think, I cannot come out of hiding. I can't do this. People can't find out the things that I do. I mean, that's the terrible thing about the way technology has isolated us as people. There... there just think of the numerous amount of things that we can do as individuals in private that 10 or 20 years ago we couldn't do. We live in a day and age, and it's going to get worse, where we can, in secret, give ourselves over to evil, and no one will know. And only by the power of God invading into our lives and being unleashed in our hearts can we see the miracles take place where we come out of hiding and we offer those things to Jesus and ask him to truly change us. And the reason you can come out of hiding is because Jesus is the one who used his power not to oppress, but to serve. Jesus is the one, in many ways, we read at the beginning of the service from Philippians 2, that he set aside his position of authority and honor and power and came as a servant to serve us, to love us, to give his life for us. You see, Jesus is the one that made himself vulnerable first so that we can then follow in his steps and be vulnerable. And when you take that risk, when you say, Jesus, I'm going to put myself out there, I'm going to burn this, this thing that I've replaced you with, I'm going to burn this, take care of me, I've, I'm putting my life in your hands, Jesus, are you going to take care of me? His answer is yes, look, look at the cross. 
I've died for you. I will take care of you. It will be okay. This is the path to seeing the power of God revealed, unleashed, manifested in your life. Confession and repentance leading to action. You know, I was trying to think about some analogies for our modern day. I mean, I don't know if many of you have magical books at home other than Harry Potter, but... um, (laughs) What would it look like for us? I mean, what is it in your life that is so valuable you're not willing to give it up for Jesus? And what, what is it in your life that is blocking you in your pursuit to holiness? You know, I was imagining what, what it would be like if, if we had a phone burning. <laughs> I mean, how many of us would, if we're honest, would say, you know, my phone is a huge obstacle to holiness. Or, or, or maybe it's your career. Maybe you're, you've invested so much in your career that it is an obstacle to you living the life that Christ has called you to. Maybe it's your car. Maybe you've put so much status in your car. What would it look like for you to give your car away? Not sell it. But to say, Jesus, you are more important to me. And in an act of repentance for the ways I've invested so much in this, I'm giving this. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. But wouldn't we say that would be the power of God manifesting in our community if we began to see people willing to take these idols in our lives that are blocking us from experiencing the power of God and say, Jesus, you do with it what you want because I want you more. Let's pray for that. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, what a challenging passage this is if we consider what it would look like for our community to live with you at the center, extolling your name, fearing you, And knowing, knowing that we can be found in you and be freed, freed to admit who we are, freed to come in our brokenness, in our honesty, and know that there is forgiveness and there is life on the other side. Would you allow us to experience that? Would it begin to spread through our community and we begin to see the power, your power, Jesus transforming lives as we seek to love and serve you in all that we do. Bless us, Holy Spirit, this morning. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.